Hello, and welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thanks so much for joining me. Just as a reminder, we are currently looking for our first official podcast sponsors. If you're interested in advertising here on The Happy Writer podcast, please let us know. You can find contact information at marissameyer.com slash podcast. And NaNoWriMo is coming up. Uh, Of course, that is every November, National Novel Writing Month. And every year we try to work in some fun writing sprints on our Instagram to help inspire and motivate you to tackle those word count goals. And I honestly don't know if we're going to do them again this year because I have had a lot going on lately and have not hardly had time to even wrap my head around the fact that NaNo is less than, uh, as of this recording, what are we, I think about a week and a half out. Um, But we love NaNo. You know that I love NaNo. So we will definitely try to do something to celebrate and encourage you during this month-long writing extravaganza. Um, So stay tuned as we try to figure out what exactly that's going to look like. Uh, make sure that you are following us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. All right, what is making me happy this week? Sloan and Delaney are about to perform in their very first play. I was in drama when I was growing up. I loved it, loved being on stage, loved the music, the dancing, the the acting, being behind stage, getting the makeup, all of it. I think it's so fun. And I was really excited that the girls wanted to give it a try this year. So they've been in a, uh, like a homeschool drama camp for a couple of months. And this week they are going to be performing, uh, their characters are, they play both gargoyles and werewolves in the show. We are monsters. Um, so they've been loving it and I am super excited to go see it. I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. He holds a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and a master's degree in business administration. And somehow those degrees turned into being a novelist. He is the best-selling author of the young adult contemporary fantasy series, Blood Debts. And his middle grade debut, Alex Wise versus the End of the World, came out last month. Please welcome... Terry J. Benton Walker. Hi, Marissa. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I am great. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'll just let our listeners know that I have been reading this book with the girls uh, for it's mm-hmm. been about a week, week and a half. Um, we're about halfway into it, and we are all loving it. It is so action packed. <laughs> Yes, lots of action. (laughs) So the first thing I love to ask my guests is I want to hear your origin story, Um, especially because your degrees seem not at all like the becoming a writer was the plan back then. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did you go about becoming a novelist? Yeah, so um, I have been on like a, a bit of a gnarly path. Though I will say that I appreciate like my varied background because a lot of my different experiences through like college and like different 
um, different jobs have like informed a lot of what I write about today. Um, and like, you can also tell, maybe you can, or maybe you can't, but, um, I, I'm an engineer. I love science. And so like science and math also like kind of shows up sometimes in my stories too. Um, but I went to Georgia tech and I graduated as an industrial engineer in 2007. And then I got my MBA and I spent about, um, 17 plus years working in consulting and industry and manufacturing and operations. And um, it was really cool because um, I like to call um, industrial engineers uh, professional problem solvers. And um, so that's that's what I did for 17 plus years. I went into manufacturing operations and um, just figured out how to solve problems and optimize the processes and um, make everything flow more efficiently and make everybody happy um, in which that has actually surprisingly been like directly applicable to writing because I end up in a lot of, of places at times when I'm writing stories where I have to become a problem solver through by way of my characters. And so that's always very helpful, but um, not to get off on a tangent, but um, I, so about 10 years ago, um, I started writing um, seriously professionally um, and I worked on my first novel and it was um, a contemporary for adults. And I remember I queried about, um, I want to say 200 agents. Oh, wow. Um, all of them gave me form rejections. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it was uh, very devastating. Um, but it was something that it, it needed to happen. Um, and because uh, that book certainly was not ready to, um, it was not ready to query, it wasn't ready to publish. Um, but I feel like a lot of us like go through that at first. Like when we write our first book and we're super excited about it and we like type the end and we're like, we're ready. And we immediately go out to querying agents and they're like, oh no, sweetie. <laughs> In hindsight, maybe I wasn't ready. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, and you know, and I, I've like talked a lot to um, up and coming authors, um, especially authors who are querying, and um, I let them know that like it's like it it takes a lot of trial and error to get there. And one thing that I'm happy about is um, I didn't give up on myself. And so, like, yes, of course, like ten years later, I can look back and say hindsight is 2020 and that like I was not ready when I was querying. Um, and I know a lot of people like don't want to hear that when they're in the heat of the moment and they're getting rejections. But I do honestly believe that um, when you are ready and when the time is right, um, that is when you'll move forward to the next phase. And unfortunately for me, it took 10 years, but um, I ended up finding, uh, I code queried uh, my agent, Patrice Caldwell, for um, actually a story that we have not sold yet. It was an adult high fantasy um, that we actually are planning to sell soon. Um, and so she, I queried her with that. And so we had the call and she said she liked it. And then um, she asked what else I had in the pipeline. And I told her about Blood Dance, which at the time was called Queen. And I was like, I have this story and I, I had gotten a lot of attention um, in the query trenches from it. Um, I'd gotten a bunch of requests and, um, but ultimately like um, no one felt confident to take it on, even though like they, um, they, they liked it and they liked the concept, but they just didn't know like where to take it. 
And I let her read it and she was like, I love it, but it's going to be, it's going to take a complete like rewrite for us to get this ready to um, submit. And I was like, yes, please, God, I have been waiting a decade (laughs) for someone professional to like give me direction and guidance and like help me. And I was so hungry and I was so, um, so excited that she was willing to work with me on that and to like, we spent, so I signed with her and we spent the next year. Um, like rewriting and completely reimagining um, Blood Debts, which at the time it was called Clean, and we changed the name. Um, we changed and well, changed and expanded the magic system because um, the original magic system was based on voodoo. And um, I, when we went back to edits and revisions, I completely like erased the wipe the slate clean and um created my own magical system and so there's now in, in blood that's different forms of magic and or different branches of magic and generational magic is the, the one branch of magic that's inspired by voodoo um so that's a little piece that remained um from the old version into the updated version and so um we sold that and that was great and um that was a book that was a project that had been shelved and also, coincidentally, um, Alex Wise versus The End of the World was also another project that had been shel- shelved. Um, it was a project that I had worked on um, several years ago through Author Mentor Match uh, with my mentor, Brie Barton. Um, she is the author of the Heart of Thorns trilogy. It's a young adult fantasy trilogy. And she's also the author of you know, the middle grade contemporary, uh, well, it's contemporary, a uh, little bit of fantasy, uh, Zia Erases the World. And um, I worked with her on a story called Before and After. And at that time, it was a young adult. And it was the same premise. Um, it was about a, in that story, it was a 16-year-old boy who was going on summer vacation um, with his little sister to visit with his estranged dad and his new family. And um, accidentally along the way, unleashed the four horsemen of the apocalypse and death possessed his oh little God. sister. And, <laughs> right? You know, as you know, things, these things just happen on typical summer vacation. Right? <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> and so my um, mentor actually advised me that the voice of, the, of that young adult version of the story was kind of young. And she said, you know, if this doesn't go anywhere in querying, you should consider making it middle grade. Um, and of course, when I had to shelve it and then when um, I signed with Patrice and we saw Blood Dates, I went back to before and after. And I was like, I think three was right. I really want to try my hand at making this a middle grade. And I talked to Patrice about it and I rewrote it um, just the beginning. I reimagined it. I rewrote the beginning and we sold it on proposal um, to Lisa Abrams at Labyrinth Road, who I absolutely adore and is like the perfect editor for Alex Wise. And Labyrinth Road is the perfect imprint for Alex Wise to be at. And I tell Lisa this um, often. And um, I hope she's listening. But um, I truly, truly enjoy and love and am honored to be a Labyrinth Road author. And I think that Alex Wise fits perfectly into what Lisa is trying to do with building this imprint. Um, And so Labyrinth Road, and the reason it's called um, Labyrinth is a bit of a play on words, but it's, it's, she wants to focus on stories that help children navigate the labyrinth of life Mm-hmm. And and find mm-hmm. themselves and figure out like where they fit into the world. And so that's perfect 
for yeah. an ex-wife. And it like, yeah, it like perfectly fits with like the story and like the core of like who I am as an author and an artist. And like they've just been like such a really great publishing partner for the series. And I'm really glad that it's that it's publishing with Labyrinth Road. Yeah, it's like it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. There are so many things in your origin story that I I want to talk to you about. <laughs> yes. Um. So first of all, where do I even start? So you talked about how um being an industrial engineer has actually been really helpful with novel writing because we mm-hmm. are so frequently having to solve problems. We write ourselves yeah. into corners or our characters don't do what they're supposed to do and they end up in trouble and you're like, well, now how are you going to get out of this? I mean, it really is um, very much a a challenge to just problem solve Mm -hmm. all the time. And I also love this about writing. To me, I think of writing as like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, like trying to see how all the pieces fit. So yeah, I mean, I just, I think that's a really cool point to make that, that even though, industrial engineering seems so far from art and creativity it clearly Mm -hmm. sounds like it's been really helpful for you yes it has and you know I um when it comes to planning stories um I was talking about this on a panel a while back um I love to and my characters probably do not love this but I personally love to whenever I'm plotting out a story so I'm like a super plotter um, I have to know every single detail of the story, of the characters, of the world, where we're going, how we're going to get there. I got to know everything before I, I draft a single word. Um, and so one thing that I enjoy doing is when I put my characters in a situation where they're making decisions and like something's getting ready to happen, right? And I'm like, okay, well, any number of things could happen. And the way that I choose what's going to happen is I'm like, what is the worst thing that could happen to this person knowing mm-hmm. what I know about them? And then I choose that. And it's, I don't always have an answer for how they're <laughs> going to get out of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, well, this seems awful. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this seems awful. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, it's so great though, because then as, a reader. I mean, and here, like I said, I'm about halfway through this book and there have already been a number of times where I'm like, well, now what, Alex? Now what's your plan? (laughs) So I can tell that you are always like, yeah, let's just throw them into hot water and see what happens. Yeah. And also like that, like, like, what now, Alex? What's the plan? That's also like a running like thing throughout yeah. the throughout the story. And Alex is like so sick of people asking him what's the plan. And he's like, listen, it is the apocalypse. I'm I'm 12. I don't know. <laughs> I do not have a plan. I would love that. I think he is such a relatable character in part because he is so willing to admit that he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. He's just making it up as he goes along. <laughs> It's very endearing, as as are all of us. Dude, I do. I mean, seriously, if it was the end of the world right now, I wouldn't know what I was doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared for this. Right. Um, and then I also wanted to ask. So it sounds like you kind of have a pattern of having books and projects get shelved, and then years later, voila, book deal, and now it's getting published. Do you have any more shelved projects that you're planning to bring back to life at some point? 
Actually, I don't. So I'm all out of shelved projects. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. <laughs> now we have to write yeah. something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I so I do still have that story that I signed that Patrice signed me for. So we have that one. Um, we will be going out with that one soon. I'm also like working on an adult psychological horror. That one's brand new, and I'm working on that now, and it's so much fun. I also, it, it's so sinister. I feel so bad, like writing this book and like knowing what the plot twists are. Um, but I'm very excited about it. Interesting. So this one has not yet been outlined to within an inch of its life. Oh, it has. Oh, yeah, it's been outlined. Yeah, I'm writing it now. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're at the end stages of like the beginning okay. of the first draft. Okay. All right. So I had one more question about Alex Wise um, and what you were saying about how it changed. But before we get there, let's catch up with the mm-hmm. listeners. Um, would you tell everyone what exactly is Alex Wise versus the end of the world about? Yes. Um, so I got a lot of practice doing like pitching this book um, <laughs> over the past couple of weeks. So I've been doing school visits, which mm-hmm. are absolutely amazing. I love like kids are so great. I love them so much. Um, especially like kids in this age range. Um, but the way that I pitch this book to them is I say, what if you were on summer vacation with your little sister and you accidentally unleashed the four horsemen of the apocalypse and death possessed your little sister and kicked off the globe kicked off a global apocalypse? And then also, what if another ancient god chose you and gave you very special powers? to help save your sister and the rest of the world, but to unlock their full potential, you had to learn to love and accept yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially the plot of Alex Wise versus the end of the world. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got the four horsemen. We've got poor Mag's baby sister <laughs> being possessed by the yes. god, the horseman of death. Um, we've got like an A 10-year-old action- villain is so scandalous. It's terrible. Um, There's like an actual cruise ship sinks, which to me seems Mm -hmm. very bold in a middle grade. Like people die on this boat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a lot of bad stuff happening. Um, You mentioned that it had started out as a YA and then you Mm -hmm. ended up changing it um, to a middle grade to better fit the voice. Uh, Did changing it from YA to middle grade have any other big effects like other than just the voice oh, yeah. and the, age of the characters how much did it change from that original story it's like a lot of the plot changed um in the original draft when alex and mags were older um they were in a plane crash and actually alex was not best friends with lauren in that previous version he actually met her on the plane she was his seat partner um, on his same row. And um, that's how they met. And so the plane crashed and like Lauren was there with him, like from from like the beginning of when they first got to the island. Um, so it's, 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 it's similar, but it's also like very different. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So I have to ask, first of all, it's a true trust, like similar, like plane crash, cruise ship. <laughs> Like, <laughs> either way, horrible, horrible things happening to these poor kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, like, traumatized an agent when I was um, querying uh, before and after when it was young adult and there was a plane crash. Um, 
bless her heart. Um, she is like we're cool. Like I did like like seriously like do psychic damage, but like <laughs> she like she reached out to me afterwards and she was like, Terry, I love you, but I am so sorry. I had to like pass on that because the plane crash was just too much. She's like, Oh, I have yeah. a phobia of plane crashes, and she was like, You triggered me, and I was like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny. One of my girls, we went on a Disney cruise here about a year ago. Um, and one of them, like once we were on the boat, she was fine and had a great mm-hmm. time. But leading up to it, she did not want to go. Like she was very, very afraid of being out on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Um, and so as we're reading the book, I was like, well, that's the last family cruise we ever get to do. Oh no, I'm so sorry. I'm like <laughs> I'm like triggering people left and right. <laughs> No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. She'll. I'm sure she won't remember that part. Um. Anyway, so speaking of Sloan, she actually did have a question for you. Um, oh, yes, and I'm glad that you mentioned in your pitch, um, that Mags, uh, the baby sister, the little sister. She's not really a baby, but the little sister, um, does get possessed by the Horseman of Death. Um, and essentially mm-hmm. becomes like the main villain. Um, I'm glad you mentioned it because I wasn't sure if we were allowed to talk about that if or if it would be too spoilery. Um, but since it's already come up, Sloan wanted to know why did it have to be the little sister? Ooh, so I cannot answer that question without um, spoiling the story. Oh, no, but, you, really? <laughs> yeah, but let Sloan know that um, you do find out towards the end. So oh. she will get an answer to that question. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She was very attached to Mags. She always gets attached mm-hmm. to little, she doesn't have their twins, my girls. And so yeah. she's the one that like desperately wants to be a big sister. Um, yeah. She was very attached to Mags and so far she's That's very so upset. We're, we have her fingers crossed oh. for a good outcome for Mags. <laughs> um, so I, 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 you don't need to worry. You and Sloan don't need to worry okay. about Mags. Um, Mags is, Mags is going to be fine. Um, okay. this, this experience is definitely going to change her, but she's going to be okay. All right. Good to know. I'll, I'll tell her <laughs> that, that just stick with it, Sloan, stick with the story. Mm-hmm. Tell me about writing the end of the world, because I love how many various perspectives we're getting on how people might react. Were this actually mm-hmm. going on? We've got the people who are fighting in the streets, the people who are looting stores, the like rich folks who are paying workers to put up barbed wire around their house. And I'm like, why are these workers still here? <laughs> what exactly are they bribing them with? <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, just what was your thought process uh, figuring out what the world would actually look like as this is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I have, like we have been digesting like recently a lot of dystopian stories and a lot of like post-apocalyptic stuff Mm. but we've never really um engaged with like what happens before everything goes down right um and so i one i wanted to show like i wanted to explore what happens like just before the apocalypse like when things are are going down from like normal to apocalyptic 
And um, within that, I also wanted to show like all of the different ways that people react and all of the different, because it's, it's very interesting to me, right? Like seeing how different people would react and, and what they would do in an apocalypse. And um, I honestly believe that like everything I wrote are things that like we would see take place mm-hmm. in real life. Like I, I joke all the time too that like, I don't know how people have the wherewithal to like to to continue to fight and live in the apocalypse when there's like zombies chasing you and like there's food is limited. And I'm like, honey, I need my anxiety medication. I need my contacts. Like I need my coffee. Like I I just don't have that much will to to fight in the apocalypse. I like I will see you in the next life. Fair. I'm with you. Like no, I'm out. <laughs> But like one, um, so it's it's so what happened in the apocalypse and like how people respond to that, and then like also how that informs Alex's viewpoint on the world and the decisions that he makes and the risks the risks that he takes on and the things that he does to save the world. Like he's processing all of this, and um, there's a line in there that I really love where he's he's like questioning what's going on and the way that people are behaving and he like reminisce well he what's the word i'm looking for he ponders the fact that like people have not wasted any time just like being completely out of control and so he's kind of like well now that i see how like truly awful people can behave to one another why do like is the world worth saving? Like, do I actually want to put my life on the line to save these people who are doing like these awful things to each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's throughout the first book, like you can see him like doing different things to try to find like little pockets of like joy and like reasons to like hang on and to keep fighting. And one very special character is Mr. Freddy, and that's one of my favorite scenes from the first book when. Alex and Lauren meet Mr. Freddy at his grocery store that is being attacked by writers. And that's a really like character defining moment for Alex because that is like almost the first, well, I don't want to say the first time, but it's one of the the few times since the apocalypse started that he really like got to um, reconnect with like the humanity of the world and like Mm -hmm. the people around him. Um, and so, like, I, I also I carry that theme into the second book as well, which it's written and we're in copy edits now. But in the second book, there's a, a constant theme of, are you sure you want to save the world? Like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you're a superhero? And I had a really good time, like, presenting those questions to Alex and having him explore it at, from different perspectives from different characters at different points in his journey in the second book so we get we really get into it in book two and overall for this whole series which um alex wise versus the end of the world the series is a trilogy and um his emotional arc over the entire trilogy is his journey to becoming a real life superhero but it's not just like the physical stuff of like having muscles and being strong and like having superpowers. Um, his journey to superhero dumb is mostly internal. Um, so in the first book, 
for him to unlock the full range and, and um, power of orange magic, Alex has to learn how to accept himself first. Um, and that's just the first step in becoming um, a superhero. And so in book two, his internal arc and his internal journey is all about, well, now that I've loved myself and I've unlocked my powers, how do I continue loving myself while also managing the very complex relationships with the people around me who may or may not understand like who I am and how I've grown over this over the past couple months of this adventure. Um, so it's it's been really fun like exploring this and like teasing out the different layers and being super nuanced like with Alex's story and like how him being a superhero sort of relates to um, what's going on societally around him in the apocalypse and how he wants to respond and react to that. Mm-hmm. No, I love that you talk about that because even though this is a very action-packed, fast-paced, you know, non-stop book where things are exploding mm-hmm. and, you know, the apocalypse <laughs> and horsemen and all of these these things... Um, you also give us a lot of, you know, great character moments, um, wonderful dynamics between friends and family and mm-hmm. just like this various conflicts. Um, and it sounds I'm picking up on that you clearly think a lot about that. Um, and that's that sounds like mm-hmm. it's a pretty important part of your writing process. Do you factor things like character arc and um, you know, how the characters are going to grow and change and Alex's overall path. Does that come into that early outlining process for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, I am super huge on character development. And um, it's actually, it's one of my, one of my strengths is one of my author's superpowers is <laughs> writing, <laughs> writing, engaging characters. And also like um, full transparency, it all, it wasn't always. Um, so real like short story on how I got here is when I was talking earlier about like how we had to do like the complete rewrite of um, Blood Debts. And um, so I don't know if, if you have, if you've read it or if you've not, there's like multiple POVs in Blood Debts. And um, the two primary POVs are Christina and Clement Trudeau, who are um, twin heiresses to, twin heirs to the magical throne um, in New Orleans. And, um, when my agent read that first draft, part of her um, feedback was that Clem's character was so much better developed than Chris's that she suggested that like I cut Chris and just focus solely on Clem. And I was like, no, I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. I have a different um, solution. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, um, so I was like, I, I, one, I like totally agreed that like, Clem did outshine Chris and like there's a lot of work that I could do but I was like let me fix it because like she is an integral part of this story and I cannot tell this story without her um so let me fix it and um I went and I did a lot of studying of craft and like different craft books like I did like I googled and like went to different authors websites with like um posted resources and um I did like a crash course on like how to develop like a rock star character and um, I, so actually now I have 
and um, novel planning kit that is um, available for a free download on my website. And it walks you through like all of the different processes that I personally use to um, plan and develop a, a complete fiction, uh, a complete work of fiction. And one of the exercises in that novel planning kit is um, a character dossier. And it's a, it's, um, it's a two-page worksheet with like questions about your characters to help you um, understand who they are and define their role in the story and their, their arc um, in this story. And so that is a collection of like all of the best exercises that I cherry picked from all different places while I was in that period of like trying to figure out how to improve um, Chris's character. And so once I put that dossier together, I did the exercises for not only Chris, but like I went back and I did them for every single character in Blood Dead who had a focal POV chapter. And so now that is the basis of like how I plan um, or how I develop my characters for every single story. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it worked. And yeah. Um, ever, yeah, ever since then, I've like that, like that meeting that challenge and solving that problem really ignited um, a love for developing characters in me. And like that point was like an inflection point from like, from that point forward, like everything I wrote was character driven. Um, and I love it. I'm not looking back. I especially love that you brought up um, this resource that you have, because I noticed it when I was stalking you to get ready for this <laughs> uh, this interview, <laughs> that you have this novel planning uh, resource on your website, um, which is so great because we are, of course, right here on the eve of National Novel Writing Month, and a ton of our what? listeners are going to be doing NaNo. Um, so for anyone listening who is feeling like they need a little extra guidance this month, uh, definitely go and check it out because I flipped through it and it looked great. It looked very, uh, well thought out. Thank you so much. Um, I like, I use it. I know people that use it. Um, and it's been very helpful. And so like, I, part of the reason why I did that is because like, you know, it took me, it took me 10 years to, um, eight, well, I'm sorry, uh, 10 years to be published. It took me eight years and seven manuscripts to um, sign with my agent. And so that novel planning kit is a culmination of all of the knowledge that I gained over those eight years and seven manuscripts, because every time I would write a, a novel and I would query it and I would have to shelve it, I would take a little time off in between and I would study craft. Mm -hmm. And then I would go back and I would work on my next novel and I would query it and then that would fail and I would go, I would shelve it and I would go back and study craft again. And so like, um, I picked my favorite craft materials, um, from that time period. And then I went back through them and like pulled together some of my favorite exercises and not just from like craft materials as well. Like this is, um, also feedback that I've gotten from, um, my mentor, uh, Brie Barton, um, and another mentor of mine, um, Anika Risi, who has given me lots of like feedback and guidance over the years. Um, so this is like the best of the best of information that I have painstakingly collected <laughs> over nearly a decade for free because I want to help people. Because I don't want it to take anyone else as long as it took me because it shouldn't have taken that long. Um, and part of the reason that it did was because of the lack of access to resources and information. Um, 
in publishing, especially when it comes to um, authors of color and and, mar- and um, traditionally marginalized authors. So um, that was my way of like giving something back to the community for free to sort of, to help people not struggle as much as I did. Hopefully, mm-hmm. no one struggles as much as I did. Right. Well, and you mentioned that you still use it yourself. And I think that's so mm-hmm. smart to compile your like all time favorite uh, techniques and strategies um, into one place, because I also love craft books um, and I'm always trying to learn more and, you know, get mm-hmm. better, improve. Um, but you forget. I mean, yeah, 10 plus years into doing this, um, you forget what you read in save the cat eight years ago or mm-hmm. you know 20 master yep. plots i can't remember any of them were there really 20 you know so mm-hmm. it's it's honey i forget what i read yesterday right exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so i love that i think it's really clever um for yourself and then of course always so great to to share to share if you've put the time into creating this resource mm-hmm. um yeah and then hoping that other people will find it useful too and thank you. Um, one last question before we move on to our bonus round. You have an author's note um, at the beginning of the book. Uh, and we already talked a little bit about Al- how Alex, he's such a great character. He's so relatable. Um, but in the author's note, you write specifically that you wrote this book in part um, for the Black queer kids who are reading it. Um, and of course, I'll just say like, I am a you know, white, straight, middle-aged woman, (laughs) but, and I'm very much loving the book. So, you know, books speak to everyone on different levels, but Mm. for you, like, what does Alex as a character mean to you? Oh, oh my gosh. I want to try to answer this question without crying. (laughs) (laughs) Crying is okay. Um, I don't think I've had a crier on this podcast yet, but you could be the first. we'll We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, so, well, so first of all, I want to say um, it means a lot to me that like you being a white straight woman, like have identified with this book and I enjoying it um, because like as a black queer person, like growing up, I, we, I didn't have books like Alex Wise. Mm-hmm. And so for me to participate in literature and in stories and in movies and film and media, I always had to do so by way of characters who like I, I didn't um, initially identify with, who didn't look like me, who didn't talk like me, who um, like I just who like I almost like had nothing in common with. And um, through empathy, I was able to still form a connection with those characters um, and with that media. So it means a lot to me now that I am seeing um, allies like you, like do that for for our stories and for our characters. And it means so much. And so so just for starters, thank you for doing that. And thank you for um, being you. And I appreciate that very much. Oh, um, yeah. And um, so Alex Wise is very, very, like every project that I, that I do is, is special, but Alex Wise is incredibly special because Alex represents a version of myself when I was that age and I was desperately trying to understand who I was and how I fit in the world at a time when my parents were divorcing, when 
my I felt like my dad didn't love me because I was not the perfect the perfect masculine boy that he had always envisioned having. And um, like after they divorced, I had to take on so much responsibility and caring for my younger siblings and helping out my mom while still like at 12 and 13, like trying to figure out like, am I gay? I don't know. And then I'm going mm. to school and my kids are bullying me and they're calling me gay. And I'm like, sweetie, I don't even know. Like, relax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, so like it's, so I wasn't always, as a as a 12-year-old like Alex, I wasn't always loved and celebrated and appreciated. And um, I had to write, it was very hard to write this story because I had to like go into a lot of my very heavy personal trauma archives um, to dig up the emotion necessary to tell Alex's story. But I'm so glad I did. Um, for multiple reasons. Um, the primary reason being that like, I want, it's like kids, especially black queer kids, especially black gay boys to see themselves in Alex and to understand that it's okay for them to be who they are and that that is enough and that they can be superheroes too. Mm-hmm. And then even the kids who don't share Alex's identity, I want them to be able to see Alex and understand that like there are other people um, who don't share their identity that they can still empathize with, that they can still go on an adventure with and still love and understand. And um, the second part of it that like makes me really emotional is like being an adult, a 38 year old, 39 year old adult who who, um, didn't always feel loved, didn't always love himself and then write this book that's like a love letter to my younger self and then Mm -hmm. put it out in the world. And to have people just like accept Alex and love him and like repost him and talk about him and just like it's it it makes it warms my heart and it makes me feel really, really, really good. And it makes like it makes all the pain and trauma worth it. And like and not just with Alex Wise, with Blood Death and like all of my work, I hope my ultimate goal is that I teach queer people of color that you matter that you deserve to be here you are deserving to take up space you are deserving of love um and all the different ways that we can get that um through partnership through our regular family our blood family through our found family um through friendships whatever you matter and i'm glad that you are here and um i'm extremely honored and proud to be able to have the privilege to provide stories as a vehicle for my community to see themselves. It's not something that I take lightly. I take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I particularly love you calling it a love letter to your younger self. Um, I think that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Have you, I mean, I know the book has been out for just a couple of weeks now. Um have you heard from any readers that that you know of yet that this really spoke to um you know young black uh, queer boys yes i have so like i have friends who have been um sending me pictures of their kids reading these stories um i have i have a friend whose niece is an avid reader and um i think she's uh, 10 or 11 and so i was like listen do you want to be a cool uncle? Because I'm going to send you an autographed copy of this book. 
<laughs> I'm going to send it to you and you're going to give it to her as if like, <laughs> like you, you personally went and sought me out to get this book signed for her. Um, so I am all for um, making everybody look good with the kids. Um, <laughs> and then like, also alternatively, I have like a lot of adults have been reading and connecting with Alex. And it's re- it's very interesting too. And this has been, it's not just been with Alex, it's also been with Blood Debts as well. I've been finding that a lot of adults are reading it and liking it because it, it transports them back to a time like in their youth when they would have devoured something like mm-hmm. this, but we just we just didn't have it. Um, so it's I it's kind of weird though saying like middle grade has adult crossover picture show, but <laughs> no, <laughs> but like I get it. I totally like get it. Movie. Yeah. No, for me, I mean different story. Um, but like I was always the really uh chubby plump kid when I was growing up. Um and so for me now that we have stories like um, like Dumplin, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, various YA books that have curvy girls as the hero. Um, I just love them. I can't get enough of them. And I do think it's mm-hmm. because, you know, those were the books that young Marissa was craving. Yeah. And we need that. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, okay. Are you ready for a bonus round? Yes, let's do it. I'm so ready. <laughs> what book <laughs> makes you happy? What books makes me happy? Um, Your Lonely Nights Are Over by Adam Sass. Um, that book makes me very happy. Um, Adam Sass, if you do not know, is um, my best friend. And it's very, very cool having um, being an author and then having your best friend being an author as well. Because, like, I am on the ground floor of everything that he's working on. And, like, I get to see all of the ideas from, like, concept to fruition and um, this book is very special. Um, it's it's the first book um, that I ever blurbed as a published author. Um, and it's also, he partially dedicated it um, to me and one of his other very, very good friends. And um, and it's so, Your Lonely Nights Are Over is a queer slasher, um, it's a young adult queer slasher. And um, he pitches it as uh, Scream Meets Clueless. And it's absolutely phenomenal. It's a story. It's it's at the like it's a slasher and it's a horror. Um, but like at the end of the day, it is a best friend story, and um, so that makes me very happy um, to talk about that story and to know that it exists. What are you working on next? I am. So I'm working on multiple things. Right. So I'm working on um, the last entry in the Alex Y series, or in this first in this first trilogy. Um, it is the end of it's the end of this story. And um I'm very excited about that. Um it's gonna be very interesting. Um I can't talk too much about it without like spoiling book two because book two is not even out yet. Sure. But um yeah, we're, we're going some very interesting and exciting places in book three. So get ready. Um, we're also wrapping up edits on The White Guy Dies First, which is a young adult horror anthology that I am editing and also contributing to that comes out on August 15th next year. Um, and I'm like drafting some, a super secret adult psychological horror project. Did I hear that the title was The White Guy Dies First? Yes. That is so funny. <laughs> it's so cool. I love that project so much. Um, it's been so amazing. Um, so there's 13 contributors, including me. 
And when I tell you, like I told, and like I told everyone from the beginning, I was like, I am going to push you. So like, I hope you're prepared to meet the challenge. And when I tell you that everyone killed it, like it is so good. I'm so excited. Like not just um, the Black Eye Dies first, but like everything that's coming out next year. I'm so excited about Blood Justice, the sequel to Blood Debts, um, that's coming in April. We have the White Guy Dies first. It's coming in August, and Alex Wise Two is coming sometime in the fall, probably around September. We don't have a firm release date yet because book one just came out. But um, twenty twenty four is going to be a lot of fun. If you enjoy the TJ first, you are going to be busy. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun though. It will be fun. <laughs> it will be. Lastly, where can people find you? So you can check out my website. Um, www.tjbentonwalker.com. Also, my novel planning kit is there. So if you are a writer, um, published, unpublished, querying, indie, whatever, if you are writing something, my novel planning kit will be helpful for you. Um, I am on TikTok and Instagram at Ice Cream Vice Lord. And I am on Twitter, and I refuse to say X, at TJ Bentonwalker. Awesome. Terry, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. Readers, I hope you will check out Alex Wise versus The End of the World. It is out now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore. But if you don't have a local indie, you can also check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget to check out our merchandise on Etsy, Instagram, and TeePublic. You can find the links in our Instagram profile. Next week, I will be talking with Leanne Schwartz about her new fantasy, A Prayer for Vengeance. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay inspired, keep writing, and whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.